0: hello everybody and welcome back to my podcast so i know i haven't been posting for like a long time and i'm really sorry about that i had long i had some you know i was sort of busy so yeah so i'll be posting this episode that's going to be extra long and i assure you and i'm very sorry for not posting before so yeah let's hop right into it chapter two so last time we, were, we end, finished chapter one. This time, we're doing chapter two, and it's called Close Combat. Well, that's sort of a cool name, isn't it? Yeah, so anyway, let's hop right into it. The lightning flickered out, and so did the ghostly figure. Frank and Joe leaped to their feet and rushed to the front door, followed by Captain Early hobbling, hobbling on his cane. Ignoring the gusty torrents of rain, the boys dashed out into the stormy darkness. And around, in, and around the corner of the house. Not a soul was in sight. The hardy separated to search the whole yard, but even when another jagged flash of lightning lit up the night with daylight brilliance, they could see no sign of the figure which had appeared at the window. It's hopeless! Let's get back inside before we drown. Drenched to the skin, the boys changed into dry clothes before resuming their conversation with Captain Early. Did anyone... Elves live on Newborn Island in the old days that you were telling us about? Frank asked. No, except for fishermen who came there overnight or put up temporary huts from time to time. I suppose the stories of, of ghosts on the island may have arisen because members of the Red Rogers crew were said to be returning there secretly. Maybe the a buried treasure, put in Joe. Possibly, the neighbor men agreed with a smile, or fugitives from the law may have hidden there occasionally. At any rate, the spooky legends of Jolly Roger and its cutthroats finally died out. And sometime in the 1800s, a lighthouse was erected on Whalebone Island. Then in the closing days of World War II, a lighthouse keeper went there named Tang went out of his mind. How come? Captain Early gave a shrug. He claimed the island was being haunted again by Red Roger's ghosts. More likely, he cracked up under the loneliness and isolation, I suppose. Anyhow, soon after that, the lighthouse was closed down. Because of what happened to Tang? Joe asked. No, no. The equipment was updated and a new light, much more powerful, had been built on Dory Point to so serve that same general coastal area. So, guys, um, let's take a small break. Uh, so, yeah, let's regroup and... Grab yourself a box of popcorn or anything, you know, do what you like for a few seconds and we'll come back to the episode. See you on the other side. Okay, so guys, we'll come back. So now we shall be starting again from, you know, we've we've been through quite a bit of the chapter, so we shall continue. Okay, so, what's in the island now? Frank inquired. Nothing It's abandoned as far as I know. The brothers were greatly intrigued. Any hint of mystery attracted them, and many times had plunged them into exciting sleuthing adventures. One of their first had been locating the tower treasure. Recently, they had successfully uncovered the secret of a figure in hiding. Captain early tucked his pipe into his pocket. Well, boys, it's been a pleasant visit. But I better be starting back. As a matter of fact, this is far later than I intended to linger in town. The Navy officer explained that he had motor trouble while driving to Bayport. He had to call for a tow car from a garage. That's why I arrived here by taxi. By the way, may I use your phone? Of course, help yourself. Frank replied. The captain checked with the garage and hung up, frowning. Drag the luck. My car needs a new distributor and they can't get... One till morning. Joe and Frank immediately urged Captain Early to stay overnight. But grateful but embarrassed, he accepted. Frank showed the captain to the first floor guest room and laid out pajamas and Bath While well, Joe wrote a note to his mother and aunt, telling them about the unexpected overnight guest. He stuck it in the hall mirror. Then the boys went upstairs to bed, living on a hallway light burning for their mother and aunt Gertrude. Okay, so guys, we also finished a small bit um my tongue's out of parts, so we're coming after a small, small bit. I apologize for this break, but you know, I had a lot of I had lots of trouble to so dehydrate and trust me, it was not good <laughs> so then the boys went upstairs to bed, leaving only a holy light burning for their mother and own Gertrude. Soon, the house was dark and silent except for the steady patter of the rain. Sometime later, Frank woke with a start. From below came confused sounds, told by a shrill, angry voice and punctuated by the sudden clash of china being broken. The latter noise roused Joe. Good night, he muttered. What's going on? That's Aunt Gertrude's voice. Frank exclaimed, Come on, we better get downstairs. The boys dashed downstairs, almost colliding with their slim, attractive mother who was on their way up. What's wrong, Mom? You're clear. G- Goodness, I hardly know. Miss Hardy stammered. Somebody peeked out of our guest room as we entered the house, and Aunt Gertrude went away after him. Gulping with dismay, Frank and Joe ran to the scene of combat. Take that, you scoundrel, they heard Aunt Gertrude shriek. I'll teach you to break into houses. Frank groped for the wall switch, and instantly the guest room was ablaze with light. Captain Early was backing towards the closet, striving to protect himself from the boy's the tall angular maiden on poked him at him with a wet umbrella. Aunt Gertrude, please Frank exclaimed, This is Captain Early, our guest. Oh my goodness it is, said Aunt Gertrude, adjusting her spectacles. When earth oh, didn't you say so? Ma'am, madam, I've been trying to, captain replied, flipping into his bathroom. He explained that when he heard footsteps in the hall, he thought it might have been the intruder they had seen at the window. So he peered out of the door and wham! Then, to the release of the Hardy, Captain Early burst into hearty laughter. Even the woman had to chuckle at this predicament. And when Joe mentioned the note on the mirror, Miss Hardy confessed she had not seen it. When the hilarity had quieted down, captain had tea with his host before retiring again. The next morning at breakfast time, the doorbell rang in ra- loud, persistent spurts. I'll get it, said Frank, rising from the table and hurrying to the front door. The caller was a large, burly man with iron-gray hair. Where's Fenton Hardy? He, rem- he demanded roughly. My mother's not If my father's not home, may I get out of my way? And shoved his, uh, him aside and started into the house. Frank angrily, wait a minute. Who do you think you are doing it? What do you want? He said, loving by the man's arm. The man still so jutted. You will find out, and mighty soon. The two might have come to blows. The sound of the altar had not reached the dining room. Joe came hurrying to see what was wrong. The captain limping after him. At the sight of the navy man, the visitor stopped short. His threatening snarl turned into a sullen scowl. For a moment there was dead silence. Then the stranger muttered to Frank, You tell Fenton Hardy that if Gus Buck ever finds him, he's in for trouble. And without another word, the wizard turned and stopped to go out the door. Chapter 3 Mystery Map Both the Hardys and Captain Early were too taken aback to speak for a moment. What the dickens was that all about? Joe said finally. This man wanted to see dad about something the end got sore when he said he wasn't home. Frank turned to the captain. Side of you seemed to quiet him, sir. Do not you know him? Captain Early shook his head slowly. No. He did seem a bit familiar, but I can't seem to place him. Wait a minute. Suddenly, the Navy man snapped his fingers. A ghost spoke, of course. He was a bosun on the third last destroyer. Third, he was a bosun." on the last destroyer commanded. Always did have an ugly temper. Had him up before the mast many times. Believe I heard later that he was court-martialed for threatening an officer. Any idea what he's doing now? Asked Joe. Hmm. Well, I know he put in for frogman training. He and another young chap who served me under, under Spencer. And much later I heard that he was working as a commercial gr- diver, but that was several years ago. Wonder what he has against Dad? Joe mused. Nothing serious, I hope," said Captain Early. "That fellow's a bad customer. Dad can take care of himself," said Frank confidently. "Let's go finish our breakfast. Sorry for the interruption, Captain." Their uncle peered at the boys inquisitively as they returned to the table. When neither spoke, he said, "Sounds like a troublemaker. Who was he?" Frank and Joe assumed blank, innocent expressions, of, although Anne would never admit it. She secretly followed the Hardys' mystery cases with avid interest. Both boys could see that she was consumed with curiosity over the caller. i come going to see, Dad. Frank said casually. I assumed that. I asked who he was. He said his name was Gus Bach. Miss Hardy fixed Frank with a gimlet stare and turned to Joe. The boy's eyes were twinkling. Kevin Early <clears throat> awkwardly. Oh, well, there's no matter of real concern to me. The girl Hardy sniffed. But if anything serious happens as a result of the fellow's call, don't come to me later for advice or sympathy. The boy choked with laughter. Frank hastened to explain all to his offended aunt. When he finished, he commented, huh. "So Buck is a diver." That probably means your father is on the trail of some sunken treasure and broke his trunk to scare him off. This morning underwater cruise is entirely too dangerous anyhow. Fenton was wise. He'll have nothing to do with the case. With a slight smile, the boy's mother gently changed the subject. After breakfast, Joe suggested to his brother that they check out for footprints of the person they had seen in front of the window the night before. As they expected, however, the few faint traces had been all but obliterated by the rain. Tough luck. Well, at least storm the storm's are and the sun's out. Hey, here comes the mail. The postman was just ambling up the walk with his leather pouch. He greeted the boy with a cheery hello and handed over a sheaf of letters. Joe thumped through them. Anything for me? Frank asked. No, just ads, mostly. And business stuff for dad. Say, here's a queer one. Leaping lizards. Look at the sender's name on this, Frank. Elmer examined the envelope. It was addressed to Fenton Hardy in crudely painted, printed, red ink letters. Far more startling was the sender's name and address in the upper left-hand corner: I. Rogers, Whalebone Island. Good night. Same name as the pirate Captain Early told us about. Whose ghost we saw at the window, Joe added. And don't forget, Dad wanted to know about the legend of Whalebone Island. This may tie in with the case he's working on. It's Postmark Seaview, Frank noted. That's a town on the mainland right across from the island. Come on, Joe, let's try to raise Dad on the radio. The two hurried over to their father's study. By luck, they were able to contact him almost at once. Frinton Hardy listened to their account of the previous night's events and exclaimed when he heard the letter. "Go ahead and open it, boys. This should be interesting." Geo slit the envelope and pulled out a rumpled, stained piece of paper. Both boys gasped when they saw what was on it. "It's a map of a Whalebone Island, Dad. No writing except for this label, and the red X marked one spot. An indication of the mark stands for what the mark stands for? Not a hint." But if you want to guess how a pirate pre- treasure, hey, take it easy, Joe. For all we know, this may be a fake of somebody's idea of a practical joke. Could be. But I think it should be invested promptly. Tell me, where, you, where were you two planning to go back with Captain Early to check his house for clues? Yes, Dad. He's downstairs, chilling in the garage to see when his car will be ready. All right. Here's a suggestion. You fellows cruise along south in the south coast in the Sludh and then proceed to Vailbone Island. I'll meet you there this evening. Okay so guys just for those of you who don't know, the Sludh is, since I'm an intent reader of Hardy Boys, the sleuth I know, I know, so the Sludh is a boat that, a speedboat that their father had gifted the Hardies. So, and, um, okay, yeah, i first sure we covered a majority of, you know, we covered a majority of the third episode, so we'll take a short break, um, you know, drink some water, we don't want to be hydri- dehydrated, and yeah, so, a, qu- a quick few seconds, yeah. All right guys so just want to say a few more things before we continue the episode. So um I just want to, I'm not like advertising or anything but I just want to tell you that if you might be interested. if your Spotify is what, what I use to l- here to listen to podcasts. Well then if you like Minecraft be sure to check out a Minecraft guide a show by Savage Ramen Noodles. I'm pretty sure you'll like it if you're a Minecraft person like me. Yeah, yes, guys, I'm a Minecraft person. And then, if you like Greek mythology, check out Greeking Out. That's G R E E K I N G Out. And then, if you like debates, you might want to check out Smash Boom Best. That is Smash, Boom, Best. It's about it's about a show that takes two things, smashes them together and a judge decides which is the better side. So it's like just in case you don't know it's like it's not the boring adults type of debate that we see on the news but nah. It's about two kids and fun facts and yeah, it's like that, so uh so let's get it right into the episode now. So as I'm sure you all know, when when we stop reading we reached where uh, the part where Fenton Hardy agreed used to meet at Whalebone Island that evening to meet with the boys. We'll be continuing from there. After signing off, the boys hurried downstairs to inform their mother. Captain Early was just hanging up the telephone. They have the distributor and the car will be ready in half an hour. He said, that's great, Frank remarked. Joe and I will drive you to the garage and then we'll take our motorbike ch- boat to your place. They're going to be dead later on Wilbur Island. The boys hastily packed some supplies and camping gear in the trunk of their convertible. Trunk of their convertible, amid a stream of advice and dire warnings of pirate peril from Aunt Gertrude. A short time later, they drove off with Captain Early to the repair garage on the outskirts of Bayport. Ah, there's my car. We'll be all set," said, said the captain, pointing to a blue sedan parked on the adjoining block. After dropping the guests, the boy drove to the Bayford Harbor. They parked and locked the convertible. Then, shouldering their camping equipment, they headed for the boathouse where the sleuth was burnt. As they neared the waterfront, a sleek, bright red motorboat, motorboat came put-putting up to the pier. Hey, that's a, that's a Napoli! Joe exclaimed. Hi, Jack! Hi, Tony. Dumping their gear on the boardwalk for the moment, the Hardys hurried out to greet their two friends, Tony Prido, the wheel of his craft, and Chet Morton. How was the fishing? Frank called. Tony turned thumbs down. Terrible. We didn't catch a thing. Chet added, climbing out of the dock, looking dejected. And I had my mouth all set for some nice broiled boss lunch, too. Pretty sad, pal. Yo grinned and patted the stout boy's midriff. But think of the pounds, you've just saved. Before we'll Chet kept pro- protest, Joe said, Look! How would you, fellows, like to come with us on a search for pirate treasure? Tony swung eagerly up on the beer. You kidding? See for yourself, they said Joe, taking out the map. Chet stared at it, and I. island? Is this really on the level? The map came through the mail. Frank explained, We don't know anything about it, but you gotta find out. Tony, whose father owned a construction business, hesitated and then shook his head. Shaw likes to come, but my dad needs me to drive the truck. Well, I'm game. Let's hear the whole story. We'll tell you on the way, Joe promised. Chet sped home to the Morton farmhouse in his Jalopy to, to get some items of clothing and supplies. By the time he returned, the hardy's had fueled the sloop and were ready to off. Okay, now fill me in. Sid demanded as they cruised out across the calm blue waters of the Barmet Bay. Frank scratched his head and shot a glance at Joe. Where should we begin? Let's start with asking the Jolly Rogers ghost last night. Joe said mysteriously. You see, Chad, he haunts, Bill Bonnell. Horns? Ted paled a bit and, and stammered, as he, and he looked from Frank to Joe, hoping for something to do. I knew there was some catch to this, but go on. As the story unfolded, Chad gulped and grew more nervous. His enthusiasm for the expedition seemed to be fading fast. Oh boy, this is just great! He complained. Not only really ghosts, but probably crooks too. This is connected with some case your father's working on. Why, why is it that every time I get mixed up with you guys, I run smack into? It? At that moment, a familiar voice crackled from the speaker of the sleuth's shortwave marine radio. Aunt Gertrude calling Frank and Joe. You must come home at once. Chapter 4. Danger Signal. Frank seized the microphone. Slew to Elm Street. What's wrong, Aunt Gertrude? He added a sudden pang of fear. Has anything happened to Mother? To Laura? Certainly not. McCarty snapped. You must right here in the house with me. In fact, she was the one who found it. Found what? Captain Early's Cane. Captain Early's Cane? Frank repeated. Mystified, but he took a cane with him. He a cane with him. Mr uh, Miss Hardy collected your father's walking stick, to be exact, the one friend had used last month when he sprained his ankle. Even the captain got them switched somehow. Of course, what else would I mean? Your father slipped in that room and he couldn't get up and go downstairs. Don't you remember? His stick was hanging down in the back of a chair in there. It's a rough, nobly brown wood. So I suppose it's. A- it was easy for the, for the captain to confuse it with his own carved cane. Especially with all the excitement in there last night, Frank muttered, grinning. What was that? Uh, nothing, auntie. Joe gave his brother an exasperated look. Nuts! Do we have to go back, Frank? We lose at least an hour. Frank thought for a moment. No, I guess not. He spoke into the microphone. I'm going through The switching cane isn't important if the captain himself didn't notice it any difference. You can take the cane down sometime later or even send it. Hmm. Well, suit yourself. At least I've informed you of his mistake. The sleuth cruised out to Barmouth Bay into the sweeping rollers of the Atlantic. They turned northward along the coast. It was nearly one o'clock, and the boys finally sighted Captain Early's snug white villa perched in a bluff amid a grove of gigantic silvery green poplar trees. At the foot of the bluff was a wooden dock The which the captain's murder cruiser was moored. As the boys brought up the sleuth alongside and tied up, Tepen emerged from the villa and very excitedly. The trio scrambled onto the dock and hurried up the flight of stone steps.